This morning, if you want to title this message, it's Hope in the Heavy. We're going to be talking about grief and loss, and the reality is that impacts every one of us. A hundred percent of the people in this room and sitting at home know what it is to deal with grief and loss. Often, though, when we think of grief, we limit that to this category of death. And certainly there is deep grief when we are separated by death from those that we love. But grief and loss extend to disappointments, chronic illness, fractured relationships, unanswered prayers, job loss, miscarriage and infertility, aging, cancer, the list goes on and on. And the Word of God, thankfully, because it meets us where we are at, is full of examples and illustrations of grief and loss. Beginning with the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chose themselves, they chose sin, and their relationship with God was fractured all the way to the final pages of Revelation when the majority of the world will die outside of a relationship with Jesus. So where do we turn in grief and loss? We can go to the self-help section at a bookstore. There's probably some value there. But where we best turn is Jesus. He is the one we are to imitate as his apprentices. And one of the truths of Scripture that we will never fully comprehend because we can't is Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Now, it would be my position that if someone tells you they can explain that completely, run far and fast from them because our human capacity cannot fully understand it. But what we do know from the scriptures is that Jesus was fully God, fully man, and he also lived with grief and loss as we do. Think with me this morning about a few of the examples. Jesus knew grief and loss, as we've already mentioned. Adam and Eve, it was God's habit to go and walk with them in the cool of the day. And when they sinned, that relationship was severed, and no longer did it look or feel the same. Jesus, because he is part of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which, again, we can't fully comprehend, he knew the loss of the Israelites constantly turning their back on God. Are we any different? We constantly move away from God, and then through the gentleness and sometimes the swiftness of the Holy Spirit, we repent and we turn back towards God. You look at Jesus' earthly family, and if you grew up with a Catholic background, you struggle with this, but the Bible's pretty clear. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. How would you like to have been one of Jesus' siblings? Mary goes, go clean your room. Why can't you be more like Jesus? I have no idea if that actually got said. A little bit of sanctified imagination. But as best we can tell in the scriptures, until Christ resurrected, his brothers were not on board with the message. They did not see him as Savior and Lord, and so there would have been friction potentially there, grief and loss. Think also along with what we believe. We don't know a specific date, but there is every indication that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, died before he began his public ministry. 
And for those of us who have walked the journey of losing a parent, at least temporarily, if they're a believer till we are reunited in heaven, that leaves a void. And Jesus would have experienced that. He knew the pain and loss of disappointment as his closest friends were inevitably human and flawed. Now, those of you that have heard me teach or hang out with me, I'm my own crazy. But I say frequently, we are all crazy, and clinically, probably that's true. But I just want to pause. I don't want that to be offensive. We're all knuckleheads. That's all God has to deal with because that's the result of being fallen human beings. So Jesus pours into these knuckleheads, and by proxy, he pours into us only again and again for us to reject him and choose self. So there's grief and loss there. We want to bring this into a little more focus for Jesus's physical experience of grief and loss. And we're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. And we're not going to do the whole chapter, but we're going to take a big swing at it. And this is a story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Potentially, if you've been at this church thing a while, it's a familiar story. If it's not, I hope it falls on fresh ears. So in verses 1 through 16, I'm not going to read each of those verses. We'll do some of that later. I just want to highlight some things. This man named Lazarus was sick. He was Mary and Martha's brother, as has already been mentioned. And the sisters send word to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus go, you're the one I love? Well, all we have to do is open Scripture, and it says that about us again and again. Independent of our feelings or our circumstances or everything we're feeling. And Jesus, as he's teaching, because he always did, in verse 4, says, This sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus is always foreshadowing what he wants to do for and in us. But in verse 6, it says Jesus stayed two more days. God's timing is always perfect. But might it be reasonable to say in our time this morning that it is not always comfortable? In fact, it can be quite annoying. One of the griefs I mentioned is unanswered prayer. How many of us, you don't have to show hands, this morning have been on our faces before God, begging for whatever it is, only seemingly to hear nothing. Does that stir grief and loss? And in very honest terms, sometimes anger and frustration, good news, gang, God is big enough to handle that. Just read the Psalms. It's an emotional roller coaster. You don't get a lot of theology out of Psalms, but you get a lot of reality because it was the men and women of God writing this human experience. So Jesus stays for a couple more days, and then he says to his apostles, these disciples, hey, let's go. And the disciples, man, they're super honest. They're like, uh, Jesus, last time we were in Judea, they were trying to stone you. The Bible version of that, not the modern version of that. You guys are not awake this morning, but I'll give you a little bit of credit there. And so Jesus goes on to say, well, while it's daylight and night and stumbling, what does that mean? It means Jesus is helping them and us understand it's not time for him to finish his earthly ministry. It's okay to go. And then he goes on to tell them Lazarus is asleep. They're confused. What do you mean he's asleep? Jesus says, hey, he's dead. 
That has a ringing finality to it unless Jesus shows up at the funeral. And as believers, we're never really dead. Our bodies die. We, we ought to be more confident in that. Even the way we speak and think, well, they died. Nope. Their body died, which is good news. I'm, I'm a youngish 55, and you're like, whew, that's been a rough couple of years, maybe, whatever your thoughts are on that. But when I take my last breath, I get a brand new body. No aches, no pains, no none of that. So what is me doesn't die. What is you doesn't die. Lazarus isn't dead, but his body's dead. So they get ready to head back, and Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, we ought to call him Honest Thomas, he says, well, let's go with him and die. That's a different Thomas than we see after Jesus' resurrection. Isn't that encouraging to know that he was a spaz and so are we? Now, it's not in the text. It doesn't say Thomas is a spaz. But one minute, he's like, let's go die with Jesus. And then he's like, well, unless I see the scars, I won't believe. Can anybody relate with that? I can't. So let's pick up in verse 17. And it says that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, pretty sure Martha was pointed, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus is teaching, verse 23, says to her, your brother will rise again. She misses it. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Hey, gang, there's going to be a resurrection. I watched a recent documentary on the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, which isn't a Bible phrase. It's one we've created. 20% of Christians now are, there's only 20% that say they believe in a bodily resurrection and the return of Christ. Ugh. That's sobering because we live in a world that is so insulated and isolated that they don't even think about something beyond tomorrow. And we, as followers of Christ, have this life-changing message. It is going to bring freedom. So she says, I know there'll be a resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In verse 26, and whoever lives believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So if you and I are sitting having a cup of coffee with Jesus this morning, I don't know if he drank coffee. That's what I'd be drinking. And he says to me, do you believe this? It's super easy to say I believe it when life is easy. But in the midst of grief and loss and sorrow and brokenness, do I really believe that someday when I take my last breath, I'll be reunited in person with Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and all of the loved ones that have gone on before me that love Jesus? Now, the tough part is, somewhere in there, is what about the loved ones that didn't know Jesus? I would be remiss if I gave you the wrong impression. God honors our choice. And if we reject God and we choose to live and face death without him, there's no eternity that's good. It's sorrowful and it's unchangeable. So he says, do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. Oh, awesome. 
After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said exactly what Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you were at the feet of Jesus this morning, what would you be saying? Lord, if you'd been here, I would have gotten that job. Lord, if you'd been here, that baby would have come. Lord, if you had been here, I wouldn't be facing this sorrow and this grief. And it's okay to be honest because God knows anyway. And so Mary and Martha, they went to Jesus with this heartbreak In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. Now, I hold scripture in the highest regard, but the challenge of translating Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic into English is it's not a one-to-one thing. So here where it says he was deeply moved and troubled, most commentators are now agreeing we could use some other words there. He was agitated. He was angered. He was incensed. He was indignant. Why? He sees them weeping, their brokenness. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus is deeply moved and troubled by our grief. He is near He hurts when we hurt. That's not God far away. That's God near, and it's imperative that we stand in that and the peace that comes with it. Verse 34 is just very pragmatic. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, if you went to church camp as a kid, you probably memorized this verse. One of the deep griefs of my years of youth ministry, and this is for real, is that too often we required people to memorize scripture to be able to eat lunch. Did anybody have that experience growing up? I would like to apologize to you because the risk of that is we used God's word maybe a bit manipulative. Hey, you can't eat lunch unless you memorize scripture. I wish I had a time machine. I would go back and change that. I don't, so I apologize. But 1135, Jesus wept. He knows, by the way, he's about to call Lazarus out of the tomb, and still he weeps. Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Can we speculate just a minute? What brought Jesus to tears? The indignation that death was never intended to be. Original design, first blueprint, Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever. No death. And then they choose self and sin, and death was introduced into the system. Is it possible that Jesus was weeping because he knows, hey, I'm fixing to bring a dead guy back to life, and some of these knuckleheads are going to see it as a threat to their political system, and they're going to purpose to kill me? There could be some tears in that. We don't know all the answers, but Jesus wept. And then verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Is there a lesson here for us? Jesus did not hide his emotions. 
He let them be visible and evident in a very public setting, and I am 100% confident he had zero cares for what everybody was thinking around him. He was real and honest. Show of hands, how tough is it for us to be real and honest? Oh, come on, you chickens. Okay, here's, I've had two people say to me this week in preparation for this message, and this was supposed to happen in November, we moved it up. They said, you're the guy to talk about this. Can I be like super real and honest? I don't like being the guy to talk about this. I don't wanna talk about this. But what I do in the counseling center many days of the week is walk in grief and loss and brokenness. But the challenge that we face, particularly as Americans and men, I'll dance on your toes for a minute, is we try and be John Wayne. I'm fine. Dude, your guts are hanging out. Nope, I'm fine. Well, fine is an acronym, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. So next time somebody tells you they're fine, just nod, because we all are. But these people are going, verse 37, why did they let Jesus die? And lest we be super critical of them, don't we ask the same questions? Why do good people die? Why does cancer take them and the, the, the worthless of the world, although we ought not make that determination, they aren't dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved at the tomb, verse 38, says, take away the stone. Martha, if you're reading the King James Version, says, but Lord, it's been four days, he stinketh. That's a pretty honest statement. Dead bodies don't get to smelling good. Decay takes that, Jesus says to Lazarus, come on out, dude. That's the Rick translation. It doesn't say dude in most of yours. And then in verse 44, it says, the dead man came out still wrapped in his grave clothes. Now, I read a number of commentaries in preparing for this, and in Jewish burial traditions, they would have wrapped the body very tightly and covered the face. So it says the dead man came out. <laughs> right? And if I'm standing there and a formerly dead guy is now standing in front of me, I'm pretty shell-shocked. And then Jesus pretty pragmatically goes, hey, take off the grave clothes. Could you imagine? I hope someday we get to see Mary and Martha's face, like if there's video in heaven where you can watch everything. And they're just like, when was the last time we were like that at Jesus's activity? And moment by moment by moment, Jesus is working in our lives. So let me bottom line this for you last night. Sorry, last night, they didn't get the best version of this. Spent too much story, story time on the backstory. But bottom line, grief and loss are universally a part of our journey until we stand before the Lord in heaven. Every one of us has experienced and is experiencing grief and loss. And one of the things, I know I'm my own spaz, but if you go back to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was the one who gave us the stages of grief, there's a danger in that because it implies that it's linear. Stage one, stage two, stage three. I know no one who processes grief in a linear fashion. 
And frankly, I'm offended at the idea because it implies that you get through it and you get over it. No show of hands, but do we ever get over grief and loss? No. Smallest to biggest, one author says we grow around it as we heal and it becomes a part of our story. Now, the hope is that it's not our whole story. Jesus grieved publicly and privately. We can and must do the same things. There are a number of resources available for that. The first Monday in December, we've done this for eight or 10 years now, we will have a community memorial event. And we, in partnership with Smith Mortuaries, mail to every family in the Derby area who's experienced death and loss and invite them to come. Within South Rock, we publicize internally. And uh, the big thing about that evening is I teach a little bit on grief, but what really is significant is once again, we pause out loud and we speak the names of those we can't have coffee with anymore. We have a ministry here at South Rock called Grief Share. It's an international ministry. Steve, Terry, and a number of other faithful folks who are walking their own grief journey facilitate that on Thursday nights. It will begin again after the first of the year, and it is a safe place to come and say, ah, because often that's all we can do in grief. Stephen Ministry, we have a number of folks here at South Rock that have been through a ton of training. They ought to get a degree for this, but they've been through a ton of training of how to be helpful listeners and extend grace and compassion. You can contact the church office about all of those. And if it's one of those that has really caused some brokenness in you, can I please sort of self-servingly encourage you to seek out good counseling, not just counseling, good counseling. Wichita has more therapists per capita than most cities in the United States. That doesn't make them all good. And I don't want that to sound arrogant, but if, if they aren't Jesus-loving folks, we ought to be careful who we trust our hearts with. Secondly, there is hope in the hurt. Isn't that good news? Four believers, we take our last breath, and in my head, you can have a different story, but I take my last breath, and I wake up with Jesus with his arms around me. He's like, Rick, it is good to see you. And then those that I love that have gone into glory before, whoo, Revelation 21.4, towards the end of the book, says there will be no more tears. No more sorrow, no more pain. Brief side story, this is why I think people in heaven can't look back. Because if my mama was looking down, seeing some of the stupid stuff I've done, there would be sorrow. You are free to have a different theology on that, but there is hope. And think of the things we won't say in heaven. You won't have to say, I'm sorry. You won't have to say, oops. You won't have to say, forgive me will be made whole. Gang, Jesus is coming back for his church. Our youth group was kind of crazy. We would do weird things like rapture practice. <laughs> Should we do that this morning? 
Jesus is coming back. This world around us doesn't even care about Jesus, let alone his return. Where are they going to learn that? With us. There's going to be no support groups in heaven because we'll all be made whole. Lastly, please do not go it solo. Jesus was not the Lone Ranger. He had this group of people around him that he lived with virtually 24-7. And they saw Jesus in anguish, and they saw Jesus in anger, and they saw Jesus weep. It's imperative that we have those kinds of relationships. And dare I get a little bit personal? That's preacher for I can is if we're running out of here on Sunday mornings because we don't have any deeper sense of connection, can I encourage you to move towards connection? And yes, it's scary. And yes, it's risky. But this rubs some dirt on it. Theology of I'm fine does not work. And what I've experienced in the counseling office day after day is when we stuff grief deep down inside of us, it comes up somewhere, usually in anger or distance or in a Jack Daniels bottle. It doesn't help. We cannot go this journey solo. I I so love God's timing. As I mentioned, this message was not intended to happen this week. We changed the schedule. And so the songs that were planned for this morning were not planned by our estimation. They were planned by God. So this song we're fixing to sing as a commitment song, the title is Do It Again. And leaving church last night, I was thinking about it, and I was just laughing in my car, not like insanity laughing, good, healthy laughing, is do it again means that Jesus is going to empty every tomb. And there's going to be a bodily resurrection for every one of us into glory. Now, we've got a new room over here. It still says decision point, but it's also a prayer space. And we're going to be talking more about that in the coming weeks. And maybe something I've said this morning has stirred you. And you're like, I hate that guy, which I can handle. But I need to talk to somebody because this grief is just a big ball of barbed wire inside of me, and I need some assistance in prayer and encouragement. There are folks over there that would be thrilled to pray with you. They don't have all the answers. None of us do. Those are people we ought to run away from. And it might be that you're sitting here this morning and you go, hey, uh, I'm not sure I believe in a resurrection. I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. Welcome. You're among good company. But to have an honest, real conversation and explore that, this is the day to do that. And one more time, Jesus will do it again. Do it again means set us free from the consequence of sin and the fear of death. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not a big fan of dying, but I'm not afraid of death because that tomb will be empty. So if you need to make one or all of those decisions today, I want to encourage you to do that. I would even triple dog dare you. Let's stand and sing.